episode 26, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Dr. Terrell Franz of Harrisburg University. The team discuss quantum from the perspective of the computer scientist, Monte Carlo device simulation, and the methods of teaching quantum for students of varied ages and backgrounds. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how you doing? Hi, Patrick. Very well. Ready for another great Entangled Things episode. And it's going to be a great one. We're joined by Terrell France. Terrell, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. I'm a professor at Harrisburg University in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in the United States. And uh, presently, I'm focused on quantum computing and all aspects of quantum technology. Um, I have a background in uh, computer science. I've been writing software since I was a kid, 1974. So I come at uh, quantum technologies from the perspective of a, of a computer scientist uh, versus uh, what is more commonly um, uh, occurs in the, in the ecosystem is people coming from physics into quantum computing. So I'm coming from computer science side. Well, that's exactly where we're from. Both both Cyprian and I are programmers, and um, and we we discovered quantum along the way. We didn't discover that you could compute with quantum along the way, as you say, and many people have. So today, um, I think what we'd like to talk about is, you know, what how do people do this? I mean, you've come to it from a different angle than, as you said, many others. If you're a computing professional or or a young aspiring uh, STEM. Uh, worker and you want to get into this field, not necessarily in the lab, you know, developing chips or, or on the physics side, but on the the, the computing side, uh, what's the path? Do you, have you seen a path develop? Well, yeah, I've seen it in m- many different people um, and myself. Uh, we all differ in our path. We all have what, what I call a signature path in, in getting something done like this. But, you know, the it's like anything uh, that you're trying to learn that is new uh, is you just got to throw yourself into it and start doing it. And uh, what we typically uh, in, in computer science, what we typically do is go to a website, do a hello world, uh, you know, copy and paste, let her rip, uh, grow some confidence uh, because you got something to run and you, you know, just, strengthen the ice cube, you know, you form an ice cube of knowledge that, that grows over time. Quantum is a is a entirely different animal uh, in that it is highly uh, multidisciplinary. And uh, the way I think about the learning task is you got to, you really have to, you know, really float all boats at the, in the harbor at the same time meaning you need to know a little bit about physics while you're learning a little bit more about the advanced math, while you're learning a little bit more about, you know, uh, programming techniques and, and algorithms, uh, that sort of thing. So it's not a, it's not a serial type of thing to learn where you start with hello world and build on that. It's more, uh, where you have to learn lots of things, uh, all simultaneously, uh, that are probably, uh, very new to you. For for example, I, I, I think I took a physics class as an undergrad. Uh, I, I don't know if I was paying attention or not because I don't remember anything. So for example, I'm, I'm heavily <laughs> learning things about physics that, uh, that I need to know to be able to, 
be useful in this field right now. So it's a, it's a different learning experience um, for everybody, but you really have to throw yourself into it. It takes a lot of grit uh, to get through a, this. There's one thing that I like to ask everybody who, uh, like Patrick mentioned, like, like the both of us, uh, Patrick and I, comes from an initial background in computer science, right? And uh, this question I'd like to, uh, to uh, address to you as well. What were the most difficult challenges that you personally encountered uh, in this, let's say, transition from the traditional computer science, the classical computing mindset to the quantum computing mindset? What would you say were like the, the top three challenges? From- or a corollary to that, what were the top three realizations that helped break you free? That's that's exactly what I think you're asking, right, Cyprian? Yeah. What yeah. what did it take? What did it? What did you realize that that then made things easier? Uh, I'm limited to just three because no, thirty is fine. Oh, absolutely, feel uh, free to. We have about forty well, minutes. So. There's there only one limit. Uh, the magic number forty-two. So okay. <laughs> um, I think one thing is uh, realizing that this is not a classical computer and it is a completely different animal. Uh, the, um, what, what classical computers have done for you in the past or, or how you've learned classic computing, how you, um, you know, mastered it, et cetera. You just got to throw that all out the window, uh, because it's a completely different paradigm. I, I think of it as, uh, I'm going to age myself, but when I was a kid, we used to have in our basic programming language, there were only a handful of languages back in the day. Uh, we had go-to statements. And I remember the process of like, how do I program without a go-to statement, you know? And so I had to really change my mindset. And then more profoundly, back in the early 80s, when when uh, object-oriented programming came to the fore, uh, 90s really-ish, um, that's a completely different uh, way of thinking about how to solve problems. And, you know, nowadays, Folks learn object-oriented programming as, you know, it's like it's air and water. It's not really profoundly different, but it is. So this this moved into quantum is a totally, totally different experience, well beyond what I've experienced in these in these shifts. So the first thing is really you have to realize a lot of that stuff you learned as a classical programmer, just throw it away, forget it. That's not how you work, that's not how it works. Quantum computer is really a, prob- a probabilistic machine. It's uh, essentially a, a very fancy calculator uh, that uh, calculates um, uh, matrices, does matrix math very, very well. Uh, and you, your, your programming is really um, changing a, a, a matrix, a linear algebra matrix. It's not about doing four loops and and the things that we're accustomed to, subroutines and all that, at least yet. Uh, yeah, it's, so, it, you know, so, I, I, I'm going to dwell on the one. It's just a profoundly different experience than, than classical computing. The analogy I think of is classical computing is asking what the temperature is and getting back the answer. And quantum computing is asking who's going to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season. You're not going to get a, an answer. You'll get a probabilistic answer. That's right. And it'll give you, you know, you run it a hundred times, you'll get a hundred 
possibly a hundred different answers because it is a probabilistic uh, type of device. Um, if anybody knows anything about Monte Carlo simulation and Monte Carlo experimentation, which which physicists have no, I don't even think that's in their vocabulary with all due respect, but that's essentially the the what what a quantum computing device is. It's a it's a Monte Carlo device. Uh, and so, you know, how do you attack problems? You're looking for patterns rather than, you know, uh, just adding, you know, let X equal X plus one type of thing, uh, which is, you know, a classical computer is very deterministic, right? I, I got a taste of that in facial recognition. When you do facial recognition and some of the other security biometrics, you don't get a hundred percent match you get a probability that that is the face that matches and that was jarring when i first saw it but it definitely prepared me for when i started delving into quantum but you know the number two thing is uh along along that line is every time you run your algorithm you're going to get a different facial match you're going to get a different set of matches and that's or different probability uh, or you get different probabilities etc so uh, it, 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 well, it won't give you a probability. I mean, it'll give you an answer. It's just that, uh, it'll say this face or that face, uh, That's true, I, yes. I've selected the best answer is this. Of course, it depends how you, you design the algorithm, but, but, uh, you know, the freaky thing is every time you run it, you get a different answer, you know, and, uh, that, that's, you know, I, that doesn't happen in classical computing. So just as a follow-up to this question, because you are also uh, a teacher, right? Mm. Uh, what do you find to be the most difficult part of quantum computing to teach, right? You've, you've told us what was your own experience, but I would really like to hear like from the point of view of the teacher, right? The, 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 the person who disseminates knowledge, right? What do, you, what do you feel like is the most difficult thing to teach about it? Well, that's a great question. It depends on who you're trying to teach. Uh, Absolutely right. You know, to, to <laughs> stay to the theme, I guess I laid out uh, a few minutes ago. Actually, the younger they are, the easier it is to teach because you're not remolding someone's mindset. Uh, I'm finding so so uh, high school students are very easy to teach this stuff to. Um, they don't see oh that's different. They don't have that notion. So you're able to start to mold their mind uh, rather quick, and they're very very open to, you know, a curious high school student, that is, uh, very open to what we call new ideas, which are just ideas for them. Uh, for the for the other folks, I think uh, it's like I described, we're, we're entrenched in our worldview. So, uh, you know, if you're an electrical engineer, you're going to be looking at quantum and comparing everything to electrical engineering uh, ideas and you know how you deal with signal processing and sort of that sort of thing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But then you also need to uh, look at it from from other angles. Uh, uh, you know, a, a more t nowadays you need to worry about the physics of it and the the, the errors, uh, how to correct errors and and things like that. So it it it's different for every type of person and every individual, frankly. Which is why I find it really fun and and fascinating. Who knows, though? You know, a few years from now, uh, we may start to we as a as an ecosystem on the teaching side, we may we may figure out some secret sauces. One of the biases we have today 
uh, in teaching, and it's clear, and it's very unfortunate, in my opinion, is that because this quantum computing phenomena uh, really comes out of the physics world, thank you very much, uh, physics people. I guess they'd be physicians. Physician? I don't know what you would call physicists. Them. Physicists. Thank you. I'm not very good on vocabulary. <laughs> um, but but we have a tremendous bias when we try to teach anyone. We start teaching uh, from superposition, the, the physics aspects of it. You know, superposition isn't that hard of a concept. But when you start talking about it from a physics perspective, it's you know it's kind of spooky. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that will evolve over you know, the coming years is we'll, we'll have less of that physics bias and, you know, it's abstracted away. It'll be, yeah. And just like it is in, in classical computing right now, you know, I, uh, I, I really don't know much about electricity, although because I'm, well, I did spend some time in IOT, internet of things where you get closer to the hardware. So you do need to worry about physics, you know, power and stuff like that. But my, my point is that, uh, you know, trying to understand how to program a computer, a quantum computer, or really we call it build a circuit, give an example of the difference, to design a circuit, uh, you don't need that physics. You don't need that physics at all. And unfortunately, when people learn and get exposed to being trained in quantum computing, uh, they start with the physics, which is usually, um, you know, it's like starting with five volts and three volts in, when, when learning to program in Python. Like, who cares? Yeah. You, you, don't you, know? start, you don't start your typical Python course with an intro about the electrical phenomena in transistors, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, it, and it's not a criticism. It's just that's where sure, we are absolutely. in the trajectory. Because <laughs> if you look back to the 1940s, you know, uh, computers, classical computers, as I refer to them today, uh, you know, it was really electrical engineers doing their stuff. And so, you know, you did need to worry about how a vacuum tube worked. Uh, so uh, this is just a natural progression that we're, we're in, in in this technology where we still have a bias from that very, you know, that very yeah. low level hardware type of orientation. I, we'll, get out. we'll grow out of it, though, I'm sure. I've definitely fallen in that trap. Early talks that I've done about introducing quantum, I've always started with the physics, but but now I start typically with um, the way it differs from classical, which is uh, parallelism and interference, and and that those are the two things that we're trying to manipulate programmatically, and that seems to 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 connect with the programmers or the tech, the people who've been around computers. Easier. Yeah. Is that where you started? Do you start in a different place? Where did I start? Well, you no, know, in if, when journey? you're teaching someone new, oh. where do you want to start? If you don't want to start the superposition and the, and the weird physics and the Einstein controversies, where, where do you like to start? Because you got to start somewhere. I, I think interference and, and, um, parallelism are the things that I, I'm, I'm tending towards starting with now, but I'd love to hear if there's a better place. Well, where I tend to start at the moment, I tend to go with the crowd because you've got material. Going with the crowd means you start with a little bit of the physics stuff. Yeah. Uh, Because the ninety-nine percent of the material out there starts with that, and I need to, you know, be a little efficient, use material Mm -hmm. that already exists. However, uh, you know, as time goes on, uh, you know, I'll I'll be 
replacing that with my own. Um, and where I come from, come from with the bias of being a computer guy, uh, is really it's it's about Monte Carlo simulation and, and experimentation. Mm-hmm. Start with that, and um, you know take it from there. Uh, you know superposition isn't that big of a deal if you know it's 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 just some randomness in your in your uh, uh, in your bits, right? So uh, that's not a big deal. Um, it so. is. Um- is the fact that D-Wave and, and you know, Cubos and all these other pl- ways of programming a distraction that is dangerous to introduce too early? Or is that something you have that you actually leverage as the way that you're going to program? Because, uh, you know, Chasm, you could use Chasm to do something against an IBM quantum gate. Or you can go and, you know, mess with D-Wave and solve an optimization problem. Um I tend to try to not muddy the waters until later, but I don't know if that's a mistake. Well, we, uh, my co-teacher, Alex Kahn and I, we, we started teaching high school students uh, a year and a half ago, and we actually started with the D-Wave uh, oh, nice. machine. Yeah. And uh, that actually was very successful and it gave them a sense of things are going to be different when we got to the gate model. Uh, and what the benefit was is that we could get them to focus on the problem. See, with, with D-Wave, you're more, you're more focused on what's the problem you're trying to solve. What are the constraints to the optimization problem? So you're thinking about a problem. That's what mm-hmm. I really like about it. That, that's the work that has to be done is, and then, you know, cause you, you know, how do you, how do you build that Cubo? Uh, what's that look like anyway? Um, and then you get into the mode of like, oh, you mean I got to run this like a hundred times? Uh, you know the the Monte Carlo experimentation mentality. So uh, and then you know on D Wave they've got some wonderful little uh, uh, you know little snippets of of of, of cir- uh, co- I don't want to say circuits. Um, they got the knapsack problem right. So. A, a youngster, anybody in the world can understand the knapsack problem. That is, you know, how much of something can you put in a knapsack? Uh, and uh, it's an optimization problem. So to get to the question, you know, D-Wave is actually a terrific first step to start to get them to think about things are different. I'm focused on the problem more than, uh, you know, what the code looks like necessarily. Interesting. And, th- and then we move into, uh, you know, the uh, into the gate model. I'd never out, heard that. That's a, that's really a well. very interesting way to approach it. Cause yeah, it, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That could be very interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of evolution in, in the way this is explained. When I first yeah. did a session for my staff who are very technical people, security engineers years ago, um, I broke a few of them. Some of them, some of them weren't did, did no useful work for two or three days while they watched YouTube videos about, uh, slit experiments and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not necessary. Okay. It's not necessary. Now, when you know, when you get deeper, uh, when you get deeper into it, uh, you know, then understanding the, the slit experiments is, oh, okay, that's why that does that. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, and and I I think it also uh, from some point onwards, it depends a lot on which direction in quantum computing are you going to take. Right? Will you stay at the uh, high abstraction level, thinking about algorithms and, and programming. Will you move towards building the physical things? That's a completely different story, right? So it, it, 
but if you, I, I would 100% agree that for those who will live and breathe at the higher levels of abstraction, right? These are nice to have, right? But it's not mandatory to. Exactly. I mean, inherent in what I say is a bias towards looking towards algorithm development, you know, rather than being a quantum engineer and somebody more at a lower level on the hardware side. Uh, absolutely. That, that should be set up front. I'm, I'm biasing it towards, you know, some, someone who is going to put together an algorithm and, and actually make the machine do something useful. Uh, that's an, that's daunting right now because if you think about it, the the algorithms that are quite useful right now, the real good ones, have we know the names of the people who wrote them. I can't Scary. remember the name of the person who wrote the bubble sort, but uh, sorry, <laughs> my my apologies to the computer science people out there. Uh, but we're still in that phase because it's still so rarefied. Um, Shore and Grover and you know Deutsch. We know those names, so it's because while there's some entries in the zoo, um, there's not a lot of entries of well, this solves this problem on the on the universal gate. Do do we think that's when do you think that's going to change? I know that's a that's a prediction that's going to have a probabilistic answer, Um, but uh, what has to happen, or how much time do you think has to go by before it's no big deal to create a universal gate quantum computing algorithm that that solves real problems? right now they're rare well that's the elephant in the room and i don't want to talk about it okay i understand but i will <laughs> um, nice <laughs> you know because it's a great question but we, we don't want to talk about that right now because i don't think we like the answer we as a community if i may yeah, um, please uh however uh so right i agree and and there are three or four things that really the quantum computer we believe in theory can do productively for us. And the, you know, the challenge is on uh, for someone or someone's hopefully to find other types of algorithms that do something productive for us. But let me, what, what keeps me moving forward on this, just because I don't know, doesn't mean something doesn't exist. Uh, Of course. We all know that now, but let me tell you a story about uh, recently and I, I, I really need to get the, the names and everything put together on this because I, I do repeat this a lot. About six months ago, uh, there was a high school kid who found a problem to a mathematic or found a solution to a mathematical question or mathematical proof that had been around for hundreds, uh, if not longer years, uh, more than a couple lifetimes, let me put it that way. And this high school kid figured out that mathematical problem, and it was long thought that it was impossible to solve. And so I'm very optimistic that when we have enough of these, you know, individuals who start to think deeply about such things, we'll we'll come up with uh, some algorithms down the road that will be some will be productive. But you know, old guy, old old guys like me that have been trained to think in a certain way. There's, you know, 2 million of us in the United States, let's just say a traditional programmers. I, it's not going to be us. It's going to be that, that, uh, that kid that uh, grows up with the quantum computing paradigm worldview to, to come up with those algorithms. Problem to is, say, I don't know which kid it's going to be, and I don't yeah. know when that's going to be. We've got to teach them all. Uh, we got to like, teach them all. That's right. 
what what I'm focusing on, and I I don't expect to have a breakthrough anytime soon, but what one of the things that draws me is right now we're talking a lot about post-quantum encryption. And no one would have guessed uh 10, you know, uh, not 10 years ago, but before sure that RSA was going to be undone by quantum. And so I'm thinking about things like can elliptical curve be undone by quantum? And if so, how would that be approached? Can Morph uh, homeomorphic be undone. In other words, what would it take to undo the quant the the post quantum cryptography, and and so that's just my area and the thing that I I use to think about. And I'm sure everybody else will come at it with a different lens, and that will that will bring the different perspectives as as you hinted at. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, let's go back to was it AES the early AES we thought was really excellent, and then about two years later we found no. It's not yeah, that's quite as good as we thought it was. I mean, that's the risk you take when you're when you're uh, doing security based on a on a mathematical complexity. Yeah, SHA right? one. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. SHA one. That's what. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, mathematical complexity. You know, if you're an optimist, uh, that complexity will go away sometime. Maybe a thousand years. It may be two years. You don't know. Yeah. With the with the cryptography, I, I think I mentioned this uh, on a recent episode. The the biggest danger is that you have um you have some secrets that need to survive be- far beyond the encryption is likely to mm-hmm. so for example if um if i if i need to send you know cyprian a note about our next show and we don't want our competitors to know who we're interviewing i only need that to last a couple of weeks but if it's a n- national you know secrets about mineral deposits and and capabilities that might be valuable information for decades and um and so there's the different stakes in the game and so or uh, or if it's a signature on a block on a blockchain that's true that could also be right man. yeah Absolutely. yeah that wallet that wallet might still have money in it when i when it's when it's crackable uh if it's crackable cool when it's crackable okay yeah well <laughs> <laughs> now we've just destabilized the blockchain market the crypto market thanks well, I don't know about you guys, but they're not listening to me. But, but <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, I, I the human brain's pretty powerful. Yeah, and we'll true. figure it out. Some some kid will figure it out. Cool. Well, one one of the things that uh, uh, I would like also to discuss about is uh, we discussed about the teaching part and about the the, the understanding, right? Um, maybe let's discuss a little bit of how do you see the the opportunities in the industry, right? Like like mm. career opportunities. I mean, let's say you've learned about this. You are either a young kid with a fresh mind or let's say an old dog with classical computing habits, but you've learned the stuff, right? How do you see the, the opportunities, right? Because our industry is a lot, I, I, I think is, is kind of, uh, has a lot of bias towards uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, different uh, um, areas who kind of skyrocket and then they cool down like uh i don't know 10 years ago doing bi was all the rage in the industry right mm-hmm. now uh ai uh it's got to have ob- an eye in it uh, obviously <laughs> probably 95% of those who say the the word the words artificial intelligence don't really understand what what that mm. is about but it's it's kind of a red hot topic right so how do you see from this perspective quantum computing? Do you see its 
already kind of becoming a, a hype, becoming a, a, a label to lure people towards that, or it's not there yet? Well, uh, I can say at least in my travels in the ecosystem, at least uh, there is some healthy concern about the the hype uh, issue. Uh, and so people are aware of it. Now, whether that's changing our behavior as individual actors in the ecosystem, I'm not quite sure yet uh, because, uh, you know, we all have fallen into the hype and I'm not mm -hmm. saying hype in a bad way. Sure. Uh, well, maybe, maybe we have all subscribed to the promise of the potential of this. Um, and so we're not really great people to ask on that front. I'm all in. Uh, so I have a bias towards seeing just the rosy side of it. Although as a scientist, I try to look at some of the negative aspects as well. But so, but yeah, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. <clears throat> what I was going to say is that there's, I think a lot of people are still looking at it as the next big thing, not the current big thing. Because it, unlike AI and, and some of the other things, AI has been around for a long time, but it wasn't until uh, machine learning really had that big breakthrough that it became wow, we got to get in on this because there's so many applications. And I think um, one of the, one of, some of our upcoming interviews are with uh, venture capitalists who are looking to invest in projects that are, involve, that are involving quantum technology. And I think everyone's in a, in a wait and see mode. Everyone's trying to like figure out when the race starts. But I don't, I don't think the race has started yet other than in the, the D-Wave side of things with the, with the optimization. People like uh, One Qubit out in Seattle uh, we we interviewed um, Elizabeth from from there. They're actually solving problems now in the quantum world. That's the beginning, the tip of the iceberg. But but I think until we get to the point where we can do some quantum algorithms, we can start developing quantum algorithms on a on a more scale, more of a scale. I'm not sure that what we're talking about is going to be the hype will have arrived. And maybe I'm wrong. But if you think about when I talk to somebody in a business capacity. Their concern with quantum is mostly that concern that it's going to disrupt them, that it's going to screw up their their encryption, that it's going to introduce something that's going to make them less competitive, or they'll miss an opportunity where they could be more competitive. And I don't think we're there yet, but I think everyone knows that's going to be on the horizon. But I don't know if anybody can predict when that's going to hit. Uh, no, if you could let me know. Um, yeah, we'll work on that. Terrific. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think what's driving a lot of the activity uh, is the fear of missing out. Yep. Uh, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you put a few of, you know, uh, you make some small investments in your company uh, and in yourself as an individual in your career to, you know, allocate a little bit of time and energy towards this, it would not be a bad thing. Uh, you know, you, you may not want to go all in, uh, you know, right now, um, but uh, you do want to be kept informed as what's going on in this field, because 100%. it, if it works, that's a big if. I mean, if it really turns out to be something special, it will be incredibly disruptive in lots of ways, uh, business models, careers, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I mean, just if we can get some of this technology and and um, you know lasso it so that we can use it to to do personalized medicine and and some incredible things. I mean, we'll have some profound changes in the world. 
So if, uh, if, but, but if that could be decades away. So, okay. So if one of our listeners wants to hedge their bets and they're new, they're a programmer or a computer person or just, you know, technically inclined, maybe a little mathy, maybe not. Uh, and they live in the, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. Are there, are there courses, books, um, things that they should do to just kind of get their foothold to listen to podcasts? Uh, what, you know, what, what would you, if you had a nephew or a niece that was, you know, wanted to keep their options open, where, where do they start? Do they just read a book a year? Do they start playing with Cubos? Well, you know, just go back and have a plan and have a strategy. I think that would be the first thing, be, be yeah. kind of systematic about it, uh, in anything. Um, you know, it depends where you are in your space. So, you know, the, the, the MIT has, uh, you know, those three courses that are quite well, uh, the people know about it pretty well. I mean, it, they, they cost a few thousand a piece, but, uh, you know, that's probably great for a, a, an existing engineer, uh, and what have you. I took uh, those courses and that was one of the ways I started. I did too. And I will admit that I spent 10 hours for every five double checking and going into the math again, because <laughs> I had a lot of calculus before that, but I wanted to really understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I learned a lot. It prepared me quite well for the podcast. Uh, but, but don't go into it thinking that you're, you can blow off the math. It's not that hard, but I wanted to really understand everything. Those are good source. Are there others that yeah, I'm not aware of? Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to, you know, taking action on your part. I would not go with the books. If I was just a completely newbie, I would not go with the books, the book, the, the book market. There's, I probably have maybe 125 books. They're, they're getting better as we go year by year uh, in, in figuring out what to explain and how to explain it. But most of mm-hmm. the books that are in the, in circulation right now are very advanced, uh, you know, and they have a very high prerequisite knowledge for you to understand them. Uh, you know, I can't say enough about the material that's out there on YouTube. Mm. Um, there are, uh, I run a, if I may do a plug, sure. I run a, Please do. a, a site called quantumapalooza.com, uh, which lists out all of the free events uh, having to do with quantum technologies that are online and available to anybody uh, in the world. It's 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 quantum. The word quantum uh, followed by apalooza. dot com. It's all one word. Uh, I'm gonna have to hit you up that there because we're looking in the northeast to start a quantum user group once the world reopens in the spring. Oh, bingo! Yeah, yeah. Um, we were gonna open it a year and a half ago, but something came up. <laughs> Well, it's, it was either a problem or uh, an opportunity because a lot of the meetup groups that did pop up over the during the COVID period here uh, have really thrived. Uh, so that would that that uh, resource that I'm pointing you to, uh, I think, would be invaluable because there you'll see, you know, um, all of the events, whether it's from a company or a, a meetup in in Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, or New York City. Uh, you know, those events will be listed there. So, you know, just, just, uh, make some time to, uh, you know, just check in every once in a while and, and, uh, enjoy the journey because there's not a, there's not a, you know, a common serial path for, for learning this just yet. There's a lot of great content out there on YouTube. 
a lot of good, really good channels. Too. I'm very glad you brought up that resource. It's one I, I surprised I hadn't seen before, and now I will definitely uh, not, maybe even instead of starting a group later, I'll I'll start joining a group now. Yeah, yeah. Um, or take one over, <laughs> or take one over. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty. This is a field that's in its infancy, and there's plenty of room for uh, any individual who has a passion about any aspect of life to get involved in quantum. I, I, I'm a frustrated concert promoter. When I was a kid, I always wanted to, uh, you know, put together rock concerts and sell tickets and all that. And I've, I've morphed that, that passion into something that, uh, uh, I can do in quantum where I've had, uh, easily over a hundred events over the past two years. Excellent. Um, you know, it's really my frustrated concert promoter, uh, showing through. (laughs) But if you like to write, anything you like to do, you can contribute to this ecosystem. And, and that's it. the that's best way to learn. Just get involved. Excellent. One, one thing that I, I would also like to, to steer the discussion, uh, uh, it's around what kind of, of ecosystems we see being built around, around quantum computing. Like definitely there are the ecosystem around uh, the, the uh, academia, right? That's... Uh, uh, all the major universities who are involved, who are delivering courses and so forth, they are building this. We see some of the large players in the fields, like the IBMs, the the, the Googles, the Microsofts, the, the the big players of the world, trying to build these ecosystems around their quantum initiatives. Uh, how do you see the dynamic of of, of this? And um, like a, a sub question to this. Um, do you see at any given point in time a risk in, for instance, uh, government initiatives kind of hijacking the a big portion of the development in the quantum space once they realize, oh, this is a thing and it's going to be like national interest? Uh, do you see there's a risk in that? Uh, well, it is of national interest. Uh, United States, you're... EU and China, among others, uh, do have national policies. Most of them are geared towards high technology, uh, but they each one of those does mention as part of uh, the family of uh, advanced and high technologies is quantum computing. So, um, you know that that is happening. Um, yeah, I I I'm really on the side. I I come from the grassroots side. Uh, the work I do is not funded by anybody except my wife and I, um, and, um, you know, the university I, I employed by is a no name university. So we're really, I'm really part of that grassroots phenomena as I see it. Uh, and, uh, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, there is some concern I have when the big players, you know, move the big chess pieces around. And uh, really, I don't want to say ignore because uh, companies like IBM have done a tremendous, tremendous job on really getting grassroots people uh, moving forward in, in, in this space. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I do worry about that, that, uh, you know, when big players come in and just kind of wipe out what you do. Um, but yeah. right, right now, you know, honestly, really deep down, I think every one of us, even if we're a very competitive business or even a government for that matter, um, we're all looking to build the size of the pie at this stage and not, not, uh, 
dam trying to damage one another or you know yeah. uh, divide the pie. This is a pie that will grow, and I think any healthy operator or actor in the ecosystem will be operating as if you know we all help each other out because we're all growing the pie rather than divvying it up when it becomes more mature, which will probably be after my lifetime. And, and any one of us can be that high school student that solves the problem nobody expected to be solved. Hey, hey that, that's that, that's right. If you want to be the hero, you can be. I mean, there's there's a possibility there. I think really, you know, there's only so many Mick Jaggers and, you know, Bruce Springsteens out there, um, but you should just give it a try. And uh, as I say, you know, aim for the stars and in the worst case you'll you'll end up on the moon so uh you know aim to be that one person who really changes the the world in a big way but uh, i think in reality we should just be you know advancing the ecosystem and the science in our in our own small special way uh because all of those little pieces together will will move the mountain 100% agree i think we have to leave it there we're at our time limit it's been great talking to you. anything else you'd like to add before we sign off uh, thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. You've got a great series there and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know the word for it. Humbled to see, uh, you know, the other, other guests you've had in the, in the past and the, the ones I would expect in the future. So uh, we, I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you very much. We enjoyed talking to you. Thank, thank you very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll see you all later on Entangled Things.